Welcome back to the Black Menace Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Weaver, and I am here with my other host, Nate Bird. Happy to be on the show as always. Yes. So this week for our Menace Moment, we are going to highlight none other than Katanji Brown Jackson. We realized we hadn't talked about her yet. Um, And so I'm just going to give a little background on who she is and why she is a menace. So also, when I was doing research for her, she is a lot in her background, in her legal career. And so it was kind of hard to condense and pick what I wanted to share. But um, so Judge Katanji Brown, she was born in D.C. and she was raised there from her family, who was from Miami. And then after... Um, high school she ended up going to none other than harvard university and she got a degree in government and she graduated maga cum laude okay wait that's like the that's highest crazy. one right i think so i, I don't know or, there's like the, the, high there's magna there's summa and there's cum laude so cum laude, i think yeah, yeah i think magna is the biggest one yeah okay so then she went and got her law degree also from harvard and she um graduated cum laude with her law degree crazy she more qualified already than all of congress right <laughs> and then she also was the supervising editor on the harvard law review while she was in school and um she for the first couple years out of law school she clerked and then she ended up going into the private sector for a little bit then she went back into the public sphere um like i guess that's what you call it like working with the criminal justice system normal i don't know um and that's what led her to ended up end up becoming a judge and being appointed um i think three different times that's what i was said uh when i found it that's i don't really know what that means but it's it's good she was appointed three times and then also right now she also sits on the harvard's board of overseers um which is a group a board of like harvard alum um and she's on their executive committee so that's cool that is that's incredible so um yeah you really should read up on her because it's kind of hard to condense everything about her uh because she has like civil law experience judicial and like um also like private practice like working for what do you call them what are those um the really big companies that pay you a lot of money like contract law, boring law, oh, just that like, kind. Like corporate law? Yes, corporate law. Oh, okay. That's the word I was looking for. Yes, which um, I say boring. I'm so sorry to other people that want to practice that. But it's boring to me because I wanted to be a lawyer at one point. And when I, I like shadowed a, a corporate law firm one day and I was like, oh, no, nah, this is not <laughs> for me. I did it one day and I was like, y'all are dressed up way too much in these suits. That was like the first thing. Then the second thing was I was like, I don't care about what we're talking about. Like, what y'all, they like brought me on an exciting day too. I'm like, this is your exciting I'm day? Dead. Not an exciting day. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, See, the I whole, cool. yeah, that's wild. Dressing up ain't for me neither. Like, I don't know. I guess Nate, I got to figure that out. Don't you want to be a lawyer though? Yeah, I so want to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a cool lawyer. I'm going to show up in like, I don't know, slacks and a, and a nice little, little collar shirt. See if that flies. Oh, yeah. You're going to change the narrative, huh? I'm a, Yeah, I'm going to change the narrative. Because why does it matter if I'm wearing a suit or not, if I do my job Honestly, well? I could be the, the worst lawyer in the world, but wearing the sharpest suit 
and you still gonna have to pay like five million dollars or i could show up in shorts and a t-shirt do my job right and you win five million dollars like i yeah. i don't know i'll probably end up dressing up anyway but still i just think it's so stupid those kinds of like expectations we put on people even going to church like the fact that they want everybody to dress up and stuff i'm like why yeah well i For think what? like it's an arbitrary like idea of like what professionalism is and i kind of got it's not an argument but like in a disagreement with my best friend about this i think a lot of professionalism is rooted in white supremacy and like what white people have set as like this is the standard and like they're the difference between like being pleasant to like strangers and like presenting yourself a certain way mm-hmm. but like who set the standard of what the way you need to present yourself needs to be right. because i think culturally the way black people present themselves even when we don't know people is still more friendly i think than like white culture air quote that's i mean than like white americans no you're absolutely right it's a difference in in cultural like cultural identity for sure yeah anywho Mm -hmm. love um jackson and i'm uh i'm excited to see like how she contributes to the supreme court because um right now it's it's a hot mess up in there yeah we'll see what other crazy rulings go on but mm-hmm. seems to be a, a little what do you call this a lull in the storm we're in the eye of the storm right now because now who who are the women who are in the supreme court now it's oh is it uh, any comey barrett yes who has right. no qualifications you don't even need whatsoever. to comment look bless her heart right and then justice brown and then i'm not what was the other one you said sonia sotomar mayor i think that's it or something i'm sorry if i pronounced that really wrong, okay but that sounds she's right. hispanic yeah so those are the only women right i think so i don't know to be honest i've never bothered mm, to learn the names right. of the is judges that, and how many are there eight there are nine supreme court nine. judges i know that okay. much mm-hmm. so we need another woman i feel like we need the next person has, should be a woman too just because that's not really a good number i didn't realize the numbers were that way mm-hmm. yeah it's very skewed i mean it has been for a minute that's just how it is but I don't know. I just be hoping on a daily basis that, you know, something happens and we end up needing a couple new judges. Well, I, <laughs> no, I didn't say, look, hey. He said, and, I hope something happens. <laughs> and I already know the people you're hoping something happens too, mm-hmm. huh? I, I didn't, I didn't name you specific. I just said, I hope mm-hmm. something happens. They could be, uh, maybe they need to go on medical leave. You know, maybe they, they broke a, the, a collarbone and they can no longer practice law. I don't know. I'm, I'm just I'm wishful thinking, but <laughs> it would be nice wishful. if we had a little bit more balance, especially since, uh, mitch mcconnell be out here changing the rules back and forth you know about that (laughs) no so when obama was in office uh one of the supreme court justices either died or retired and it was close to the end of obama's term and so mitch mcconnell who is the republican leader of the senate um said that it was not allowed for obama to appoint a new judge because it was too close to the end of his term and then when it happened to Trump, he couldn't he couldn't get him through fast enough. So he like flip flopped on it. You know, he he said one thing yeah, for Obama and then he Trump said another thing for Trump. Did it right? At the literal last minute, like that mm-hmm. man was on his way out. Like yep. you were already voted out. Yep. And they couldn't wait to get they couldn't they couldn't jump up fast enough to get another uh justice in there. So since Mitch McConnell being there switching around the rules, it would be nice if we could get, you know, one mm-hmm. or two more uh, liberal judges to just kind of even out the foolishness in there and qualified yep. judges, too, because there's too many people on the Supreme Court who no, are not qualified. We got literally ac- accused rapists and uh, yep. and uh, sexual assaulters. We got people who just have no business being in the Supreme Court. Anything is crazy. And and don't even get me started on the ones who say they they want to overturn loving v virginia but they're in interracial relationships <laughs> yeah that's why no comment that was mr <laughs> mr no <Thomas>. comment 
Ooh, child. Man, for those of you who don't know, Clarence Thomas, Clarence Thomas, he's a the only black Supreme Court ju- well, I'm sorry, no, no, no. He's the only black male Supreme Court justice. Um, and he made some kind of, I guess it was like a passive comment about overturning Loving v. Virginia, which outlawed or which made uh, what did it do? The, which like federally, which made like it made it illegal to ban interracial was, marriage. It, it yeah, it federally mandated like everybody to allow interracial marriages because at yeah. that point mm-hmm. it was only a state law. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, the, this couple. I think there's a movie about it. I've never watched it because there's. I you know I I just never got around to it. But yeah, it's called Loving, I believe. Yeah. But yeah, it's about an interracial couple and they sued the state of Virginia for yeah, the right the to be married. Mm-hmm. And so Loving versus Virginia is the. The, the ruling, the Supreme Court ruling that made it um, illegal to ban interracial marriage. He was talking about overturning that while being in an interracial marriage. We say. Mm-hmm. These are the people that are running our country, guys. Be be proud. Be happy. Right. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Nate, what are we talking about today, though? Yeah, so today we're talking about uh, like cultural expectations versus, um, I guess, reality or the truth mainly we're going to talk about how it is in the church and how like um the things that the church teaches and the principles that they teach are a little bit different from some of the cultural aspects of the church um and so that's really going to be like the main focus today so there's a lot of different areas that we can jump into about that but we kind of already started inadvertently i kind of want to jump back into that conversation about like professionalism and white supremacy and stuff like that because that was i don't know that that uh was interesting but kind of what you were saying how like the whole idea of professionalism is rooted in white supremacy. It really is. Like if you go back and you look at like all those Motown singers from like the fifties and stuff, um, how the women would have their hair in those fancy hairstyles, like the, the bell hairstyle or whatever. And the men would have their hair like combed straight and they called it a conch. They did that to appear more white because that was what was socially acceptable at the time. And because if they had their hair, just the way the regular way that black people grew their hair, then they weren't going to be like widely publicized or they wouldn't be able to get a job, wouldn't be able to work, wouldn't be able to get paid, all those kinds of things. And so that's kind of stemmed into like culture today. And now you've got, you know, a big thing in the, in the black community is respectability politics where, you know, you have to act respectable to gain the respect of the people around you. Um, and now it's just in general to be respectable, but um, it stems from, being respectable to white people right so um you know growing up our parents would say oh you got to act a certain way when you're in public you have to behave a certain way so that people will see you a certain way and what that comes from was um how white people perceived us um and how they still perceive us right we still get the uh you know the comments of unprofessionalism or um you know people saying that we look aggressive or we look angry or we act ghetto those kinds of things we get those kinds of things in the workplace all the time um you know, I had a, a coworker who went, he talked with a supervisor or something like that about me without actually talking to me about it because he said he didn't know how I'd react to it. I'm like, I'm the most laid back person you'll ever meet. I, I don't get angry. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't just come and talk to me. It wasn't a big deal, but he just didn't know how I was going to take it. I was like, well, I mean, that's kind of weird. I don't know why you would. Why you now I'm taking take it offensively. Right. Yeah, now I'm upset. Now I'll come over there and beat you behind. But before then, you know, it was, um, yeah, so that, I mean that kind of is respectability politics, and so that's why I'm kind of against the whole idea of dressing up. I know I'm going to have to. I got to play the game to win the game, right? But I hate the idea of having to to dress up to appear professional or or this and that because you know going to work, being around people. I've noticed it doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter how you're dressed. 
It's about how well you do your job. And if you can do your job well... It should be, but it should be. It's not that way, though. Like, the assumption that people have about you perceive, like, the way that they will... Like, certain assignments they give you. Like, how they will, like... I don't know. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So, it should be based on that, but I'm mm-hmm. like, it's not. No, you're absolutely right. You, I'm just saying, it's like, from my personal perspective, it doesn't matter to me. It matters more so how well they do it. But, yeah, you're right. From, like, the corporate perspective, it's all about, how, it's all about appearances, right? How you look. And so, that's why you've got people who are completely unqualified getting jobs that they're not qualified for. Um, I think this is especially big between like, there's a huge discrepancy between men and women or I think uh, what's the statistic where like 90% of men apply for jobs they're not qualified for. Oh yeah. And then I, I just made up a number, but it's a very high number. I don't know, but a of ton men. of men do it. Yeah. And a, a very of low percentage it. of women apply for jobs that they're not qualified for, like an abysmal number. Yeah. Well, then, it's like if women do not meet, from what I do know about what you're referencing, it's like mm-hmm. if women do not meet every single requirement, they will not apply to the job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's also skewed, you know, across people of color too. So I know a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, black men and women who do the same thing where if they don't feel like they're qualified for the job, then they're not going to apply to that job. And then the other side of that, you've got, um, uh, you got white people who will apply to jobs that they are not qualified for. And then they'll get those jobs, not because they're qualified for it, but because of how they look. And they'll be chosen over a more qualified mm-hmm. candidate who may be of color because of the way that they appear to the person. There was a yep. study done back in the early 2000s. I actually wrote a paper on this, but there's a study done where um, these researchers created a bunch of resumes and put them on the Internet. And uh, they did half the resumes with ethnic sounding names and half the resumes with white sounding names. And then they just kind of waited to see, to hear back. And they found that uh, the, the resumes with white sounding names were 40% more likely to get a response than the ones with ethnic sounding names. Same amount of yeah. qualifications. They did, you know, low, uh, poorly qualified, moderately qualified, highly qualified. They had the same amount on each side. But the ones with uh, white sounding names were far more likely to be contacted. Um, than those on the other side. And so I just, you know, that's just the way the world the world turns, unfortunately, because of white supremacy. And so definitely something that uh hoping to move past. I, I I have a dream that one day I can show up to work in shorts and a t-shirt well, and kill my job. <laughs> I mean, if you work in certain industries, yes. Like if you work in tech, you can do that because tech, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of, I think they're at the forefront of a lot of things just because it's such a young industry it is a lot of people of color i mean in terms of leadership they definitely need help with that but like a lot of poc are in that industry mm-hmm. you know and that's something i will say i'm trying to work in tech so anybody in google meta even though i just got a job <laughs> and i like my job a lot but <laughs> anybody in google meta um any of those big tech microsoft you want to hire me to work on your dei check out my linkedin um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah tech they I have to say they're they're better at certain things and i work in the advertising industry and they're very relaxed too because it's a creative industry and um that that relaxed culture doesn't come from them being like progressive or inclusive it comes from creative people who are majority of the um people who work in the industry and they're like no we're not doing that Mm -hmm. (laughs) you you cannot pay a creative director to show up in a button-up tie and like he's going to come in his him or her they're going to come in their outfit that they want to come in you cannot do that as it is that's how it should be and i guess but, you know to be more specific as an aspiring lawyer i hope i can show up to work in a t-shirt and, and some shorts yes. you know and do my job well but well, yeah. this same thing applies to the church too like mm-hmm. jumping over and bringing it to like the lds context 
And I guess this could be said about other churches too, but I have the most experience in the LDS church, so that's what I'm going to speak on. But in the LDS church, like if you don't come to church looking a certain way, people have certain expectations and assumptions and stereotypes about you. I know we say like, oh, come as you are, but like if you don't, like there, there's one thing to wear a dress and then there's one thing to wear like an LDS type dress. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. At least for women. And so, mm-hmm. um, and even wear your pants, right? Like just that whole perception of like kind of going into the culture part that we're going to talk about native just culturally that's what's like expected even though someone could know way more about the doctrine than you be a faithful member like they don't want to go to church if they don't look a certain way because they know how they'll be perceived like if you look at people who are or on vacation right and they're um not member they're members of the church but they're somewhere else they they're they they're going to want to overly dress the part to prove like i'm not an outsider in this congregation i belong with you i don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen that but um i don't know if i've seen it like in in, the, in those terms but I, I get what you're saying though you know where there's definitely like a desire to look like you belong mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure i think um yeah that is a you know appearances are big within the church we say that they aren't but they definitely are and and one thing in the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints um, i guess it's a little bit unique and different than most churches um we do sacrament or you know, it's called communion in other churches we do communion every week instead of um you know just every couple of weeks or every month mm-hmm. or what have you and um we have young men who usually it'll be young men who will, will pass the communion to the congregation and uh, it's been kind of a cultural requirement for the longest time that you have to wear a white shirt and a tie uh, in order to to pass the, the sacrament or the pass the communion to the congregation. And there's no actual doctrinal uh, basis for that. It, but there was a, a talk that was given by a church leader, I think back in like the 90s or the 80s, where um, he said something along the lines of, you, you should look presentable and, and wear a, a nice clean white shirt when you pass the sacrament or something like that. And then from that point on, it became like a cultural requirement. Mm-hmm. You have to wear a white shirt and tie to the point where um, most of the bishops that I had who were the leaders of our congregation, like a pastor, most of them growing up would have an extra tie and an extra white shirt in their um, in their office in case someone showed up without one so that they would have to go and like change into that white shirt. It might be this big old white shirt that's like a 2X and you put it on a 12-year-old, you know, but um they would have to wear that in order to pass the sacrament and um yeah you know it's not it wasn't something that was required there's nothing in any handbook or any uh mm-hmm. scripture that says you have to wear certain clothes to be able to pass the sacrament but it's just kind of become that cultural expectation well you know it's weird i did not know that that was a thing until i went on my mission really because in my ward in chicago they're just they're not that they those cultural things don't matter. Like I said before on the podcast, we clap in my ward. Like after a talk, <laughs> people clap. I wish I was in your ward. No and <laughs> um, I didn't know that was a thing. Like my bishop was the bishop attitude that has, I mean, always, it's been, I've had, there's been probably like now six bishops in the time that I've been a member. That's probably a high number, maybe, I don't know, something like that. And they're just like, oh, come as you are, like purple shirt, green shirt. Like they never ca- like I had no idea that was like an expectation because they just let the like if you were a young man and you were there, they let you pass and you're worthy. Like he's like, I'm glad to have you. Like he did not care. So I didn't know that. That's until I went cool. on my mission. And certain like certain other like cultural things, like people again, I didn't know this. People close the doors when the sacrament is being when the prayers for the mm-hmm. um sacrament and the 
or communion um, is being read because there are certain prayers and um, the Doctrine and Covenant scriptures in the LDS Church that we read over uh, before we take it. And I didn't know that that was a thing. Again, that's something really small, but like a lot of, again, I didn't know these things until I went on my mission and I saw people like overly really caring about it. And my ward, <laughs> we, no, it, it's like the Lord is not going to bless this, you know, less or not see what you're doing less because you're wearing a purple shirt and the door was open when the prayer was being read right that makes sense yeah that's interesting i never even thought about that one because yeah we did that too where we would have um we have ushers stand by the door mm-hmm. before church started and then when church started they would close the door um for the for the sacrament prayers i did not even realize that that wasn't i mean, I, I guess i never thought about it but yeah they would close the doors all the time and yeah that's not a requirement either yeah, I never knew until I asked. I'm just on my mission. I was like, "Why are you like this?" Like all the time, the people. I'm like, "Why are you doing this? Why are you so OCD on the doors being closed?" Mm. And then someone was like, "Oh, this, oh that." So, uh, very interesting, crazy. very interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, culture versus reality, and you know, there's there's a lot of you know, there's things like this everywhere. But I think I guess especially in the Church um, of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, where. Um, you know basically there's the expectation where you are all in right there's no there's no like half doing mormonism so it's either like you're all the way in or you're all the way out that's not the case there's a lot of people out here who are half doing it who are quarter doing it who are one eighth (laughs) doing it and but they still have but they still act like they're doing it all the way like Mm -hmm. even if you aren't doing everything um that you're supposed to do in the church there's still this pressure to like pretend like you are and to give off the appearance that you are i think that contributes to like some interesting um issues in utah like i know mental health in utah is a a big problem and it's a problem Mm -hmm. that doesn't get talked about enough uh there are there's there's not enough therapists and there are far too many people who like are not seeking um the mental health help that they need um you know that's not to you know say anything bad about people who like who need those things um because obviously everybody you know to some extent is going to need some help with with mental health at some point in their life right but um, there's just too many people who who need that help but who feel ashamed to do it or who like aren't aren't given the resources that they need in order to go and seek out those things does that make sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah like, I, well in in utah the rate for like teen suicide is one of the highest in the country from yeah. what i know mm-hmm like even if you have like one student a year killing themselves, like one student a year, that's like really high. That's a bit like that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot high. That's a lot higher than other places in the United States. Yeah, it definitely is, um, and it's sad. It's sad to see. And mental health, I know it's a huge thing at BYU. I remember really my first experience because uh, you know I, I grew up growing up i was pretty sheltered um you know as far as a lot of things went and so i was exposed to a lot more of the world coming to byu and just like meeting other people one of my first experiences with i guess mental health in general um was my freshman year i was hanging out with some friends and then one of our friends went to go like grab something from their dorm and they didn't come back for a while and then one of uh, my roommate got a phone call from this person and they had had a panic attack and they needed help uh from us and so we go to get this person and they were it was it was like 10 o'clock at night and they were lying outside like on the sidewalk in the dark by themselves just curled up in a ball because on the way back to the dorm they'd had a panic attack and i had never 
like seen anything like that. And I was like, man, what, like what happened? You, you know, you okay. And so, um, like seeing that, I was like, man, that's, 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 that's tough. You know, I had never had any kind of experience even remotely similar to that. Um, and so that was really like my first big experience with mental health. But then it's been interesting to see, I guess the stigmas and the things surrounding those things. I know a lot of times people will try to solve mental health with religion and that's not something that's unique to just the, the LDS church. That's, that's pretty common in the black community too, where they, you know, instead of going to a therapist, your therapist is your pastor, right? You know, or like your spiritual counselor is also your, your, your mental health counselor. And unfortunately it just doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, that leads to a lot of problems as well. When you start to mix religion and mental health because those are two different things yeah my grandma love her she's like one of the most spiritual people i know she's not a part of the church the the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints she's you know um that's a non-denominational church but when i have mental health like struggles like when i'm really low she'll call me and like pray for it to go away and like i love it and like i'm grateful that she cares enough to like pray about it but i tell her i'm like mama dora i need to like just go to therapy like three times a week right now like you know and she's like no you just need to like she's like let's just pray and i'm like and she'll like pray that like the spirit of depression will leave me Mm. and like i'm a still a spirit i'm a spiritual person and like i you know i believe in spirituality and god and all those things but i'm like that is just not like yes god can have a miracle happen a hundred percent um, but I guess my faith is just not built in that way or something. And I just don't like, that's not how it works. And yeah. like, I, I am a firm believer that God, the creator of all things, he works through vessels, right? He works through people. And part of helping us to become, you know, better people is through the avenues we have here, through the mental health professionals we have, through the medication that you can be put on, through mm-hmm. Um, just yeah there's so many different types of therapy now to like help people work their trauma and their hard experiences that that prayer is being answered by you going to therapy two times a week by Mm -hmm. you investing in a different type of therapy other than you know CBT um, might be something more intense right and so very firm believer in that (laughs) no yeah absolutely me too I think mental you know I uh, went to a therapist for a little while and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I learned so much about myself just in that short amount of time that I was able to go. Um, and, you know, obviously I have plans to go back, but, you know, got to get them finances up. Right. But, uh, yeah, just during that like short amount of time, I was able to make so much personal growth on myself and like understand myself so much better. And like for the longest time, I had been wanting to like understand myself better. And I was never able to do that. But then going to that therapist and having him help me process through things and understand myself a little better, I was like, man, that makes so much sense. This is why I'm the way I am. And, um, you know, it's kind of it's not unique to my family, but my my parents, my dad especially used to just call it like demons, you know, like, Mm. oh, you've got these demons or they got them demons. It's like, (laughs) no, it's not demons. It's probably like depression or ADD Mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, it's it's chemical imbalances in my brain. and you know i think that's the thing that we have to realize is like biology or science and religion can work together but they don't mix you can't mix the two like they can work together you know right. you can like you unif- um you can unite things between them but you can't mix the two and expect to get uh, a clear picture of what's going on um and so i think that's where people really get it mixed up is they try to like leave one for the other yeah um, 
And, you know, that may work for some people, but it's not going to work for the majority of people. Right. And so it's good to have a mix where you have a little bit of faith, but then you also have uh, a little bit of logic. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know if that's the right way to put it, but, you know, no, you no, got, no. You got you're science using, on one end, you got religion both. either. Yeah, you can you can use both. And like, I don't know, people think a lot of the times it has to be like one or the other. And like you're saying, you mm-hmm. can have both. Right. And I've very rarely, not rarely, it's just not as common, I'll say, to come across people who understand and accept both. Mm, absolutely. You know, like, if I break my leg, I can pray, but I'm also going to go to the doctor or the emergency right. room <laughs> and get it patched up. And yes. when I go home, I'll probably still pray, but I'm also going to be popping some Tylenol or yes. some ibuprofen <laughs> or whatever else I need to help me get through that, right? So it's a little bit of both is going to help. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's super important. It's something that we don't... Um, we don't realize often enough mm-hmm. and that, that that definitely shows in like statistics with mental health in utah especially among the queer community i know teen suicide rates are really high in utah and they're even higher among lgbtq youth um mm-hmm. like, to the point where it's it's really really sad and there's a lot that needs to be done that's why we got some great um you know nonprofit organizations that are out here doing a lot of good work uh, so another thing that's really interesting within the LDS church is uh, the missions that we go on um, as, as young people. It, a lot of times, if you are a member of the church uh, from a young age, you're encouraged to serve an LDS mission, uh, which is basically... If you uh, hold a priesthood. Yeah, mm-hmm, that's true. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you are a young male in the church, um, you are encouraged to serve an LDS mission. Um, which is basically where you you set aside two years of your life when you turn 18 um, to go and serve the Lord in a, a, a foreign land, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, and so, you know, you, you get a call, a mission call from the church headquarters uh, to go to a particular place. And um, you don't know where you're going to go beforehand. So you find out when you open your letter. Um, for me, I went to Houston. And then I've had friends who went to South Africa, who went to Liberia, who went to Brazil, who went to you know Nicaragua, like all over the world. So they send us all over the world uh, for two years, and you have to um, just like teach the people there about Jesus Christ. A lot of it involves knocking on people's doors and trying to share a message with them. So if you ever, you know, if you ever had your door knocked on by some Mormon missionaries, be nice to them because yes, they out be there nice struggling. To them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at the very least, don't be rude. You know, like yes. you don't have to be nice. You don't have to let them inside per se, but yeah. don't don't hate on them. Um, yes. Don't be don't be those people who are like going to give them a like they might already be having a really hard day, and don't be the reason right. why they cry. Like don't be their final reason. <laughs> like don't be their thirteenth reason. <laughs> For real. And the same reason, the same thing goes with the Jehovah Witnesses. Be nice to them too. I don't know why, but. For whatever reason, when you're out serving a mission as a Mormon, Jehovah Witnesses are like your worst enemy. Like they're like your. Yes, they are mad haters, bro. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Sorry. I think it depends. They, in my where I was in Alabama, they like wanted to like. Oh yeah, they'd be us. intense down there. Yeah. They were trying to like bite us. I was like, mm-hmm. guys, it it's was intense okay. in Houston too. <laughs> yeah. There's some there's some bad blood between the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses, but there I think really we're working is, on that. I, I got a lot. Of, <laughs> I got a lot of respect for Jehovah Witnesses though. Um, but yeah, so so be nice to those people that come knocking on your door talking about, can I tell you about the Lord? Be nice to them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, so we're encouraged to go on those missions. And um, 
you know, they say encourage, but basically it's pumped into you from a young age. Like you're going to serve a mission. Like the expectation is there that you are going to go on a mission and you're going to put your life on hold. You're going to go serve the Lord and you're going to come back a better person for it. And so women are given the option of doing that, but they're not encouraged in the same way. And it's not an expectation for them. Um, the church has always shied away from saying that it's a requirement. They never say that young men are required to serve missions for the Lord. They just say encouraged. That's always Strong, the word they strongly use. Strongly encouraged. encouraged. Uh, and basically what that's turned into culturally is if you don't go on a mission, then there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a reason you're not right. go- you're not going mm-hmm. and so you kind of become less than in in lds society if you don't serve a mission and you continue to uh to subscribe to that society right so like there becomes this stigma i guess you kind of get like a little scarlet letter scarlet on you. letter i was thinking <laughs> the same thing yeah you kind of become like the outcast and uh that doesn't show up too much except in the dating world and in the, the marriage world and that's really important in lds culture um, because we're also encouraged to get married very young um, because on top of that we're also well we're also told not to have sex until we get married and so all those mm-hmm. things just kind of compounding each other right so you got all these young people who go away and they um, you know they serve missions for two years or for 18 months if they're uh, if they're women and then they come back and the immediate goal after that is to get married right and so if you didn't serve a mission then the chances of you being able to get married if you are a man are much much lower because although the women are not uh strongly encouraged to go on missions the same way that men are they on the other hand are strongly encouraged to marry men who serve missions right Mm -hmm. and so um on both ends of the spectrum you kind of have this like whole system working uh with itself right so it's like if you don't go on a mission it's gonna be hard to get married and if you you know if you don't get married then you can't like have all the full um i guess blessings or like status within the church if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and this is it's like all just like weirdly connected because the whole reason why men are encouraged to go on missions um more than women are and like that like they requirement is there is because men have the priesthood and in order to like fulfill your priesthood duty and like prepare for your future priesthood duties you should go on a mission that's like the reasoning and the idea like the reason why a woman wouldn't want to marry you if you didn't go on a mission is because you're not taking your priesthood duties seriously Mm -hmm. and like he doesn't want he doesn't care about his duties as a priesthood holder and like if you want a good priesthood holder to lead your family you want someone who served a mission and it's just it's all just very problematic and also even like the age you mentioned at 18 like that's the youngest you can go is 18 Mm -hmm. and even if you choose to not go at 18 i've seen just like people's interpretations of why you do or don't go at certain times like i know people who have served missions at 23 um i know people who have served missions at like 19 20 like waited a year or two and for different reasons right whether that be school money like missions cost a lot of money i don't mm-hmm. think people realize like that's a big factor. missions oh, yeah. are 500 dollars a month still cheaper than like living at like going to college but if your family just doesn't have it like you could be working instead right and so um it's a lot of money you have to pay and 
people just again they always assume there's a reason why you're not doing it like you're not worthy and so there can be like whisper like that scarlet letters because there's like whispers of like oh why didn't they serve a mission why did they wait a year why did they wait two years like it's just like why didn't they go when they were 18 maybe they weren't ready and being someone who went on their mission when i was 19 there was such a huge difference like the 18 year old boys were literal children children like mm -hmm. children yep. like being in the mtc with them they had walked across their graduation stage like two weeks prior to that and they had had no responsibility up to that point their mother was doing all their laundry cleaning all their stuff like they had never had to take care of themselves and so half of a mission from what i heard from the elders when i was out was like when you train an elder it's not even just like oh training a missionary like you're training a human being like mm -hmm. you're teaching them like hey you got to get up every morning hey this is how you wash your clothes you got to wash your dishes every day like mm -hmm. that and so you're not even really <laughs> doing mission stuff you're training a human being oh, so yeah. um i just think that that's weird and i think we should encourage people like if you want to serve a mission great and you should go when you feel ready because the best missionaries were the ones who were older in my opinion oh no like, absolutely it took the elders who were 18 like a year to figure that like become a good missionary mm -hmm. versus the missionaries that came out of 23 were ready to go immediately right like, right 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 off the ground because mm -hmm. you've had a chance to live your life a little bit 18 is extremely young like thinking back to when i was 18 i was very young and like you don't see it at the time but you just have such a different way of thinking at that age yep. you know I, like i'm still young now right i'm, I'm sure like in five years ten years i want to look back and be like man i was so young at this age but just thinking back to how i was when i was 18 that was like I, you know ooh, that was a lot and yeah, i was already <laughs> i was already a lot more mature for my age like I was still, you know, I was still immature and childish in some ways, but then there were other ways where I was like kind of prepared for that, you know, and I, I, I credit that to my, my mother. Right. You know, she taught me um, how to like take care of myself and how to like have certain responsibilities. Like I was washing my clothes one time I was eight years old. I knew how to clean up after myself, how to do chores, how to get up on time, all those kinds of things. Right. And so I didn't have to worry about that part as well. So like when I went out on my mission, I was still very young mentally, but I was ready to go and be a missionary and like be a good missionary. But yeah, I because I was a little bit more mature, um, and I went out at, when I was nineteen. But because I was a little bit more mature, and that year makes a difference. Okay, mm -hmm, it makes a huge <laughs> difference, right? Uh, I had already been to a year of college, and uh, yeah, you know, having these these missionaries that I was working with um, coming out of high school or coming straight from their homes, I was like, man, I, they drove me crazy a lot of the times um, because it was just a different a different way of you know. It took them a lot more time to adjust to certain things. And to be perfectly honest, I feel like there were a lot of missionaries who had no business being out there at Say that time again. because they Say weren't prepared. Um, they weren't prepared for the, the rigorous like responsibilities of that, because yep. to be a good missionary, you have to be very disciplined. You have to be real dedicated yep. and you have to know your stuff, um, you know, because we're expected to go out and teach people like the doctrine of the LDS church. And in order to do that, you got to know the doctrine of the LDS church. And you had people coming out who had never opened up the scriptures by themselves and like who had never read the Bible, never read the Book of Mormon, didn't know like a lot of the rules and the laws and stuff like that. And um, it, yeah, having to teach them all of that. And then on top of that, also teach them how to like wash their drawers or like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yo, this is a lot. I got how, yes. how come I got to wake you up like I'm your father. Oh, yep. it's time to get up. Come on now. Like, 
don't have time for this. I'm trying to like go read my scriptures and prepare for this day of, of talking to all these people who don't want to hear from me. Um, yep. You know, and then on top of it, bless their hearts. But but living with white people is a different experience. I'm so, I love y'all. I really do. But y'all different. <laughs> no, I love y'all. Not to the listeners. I love I y'all. You know, but I, I y'all love it. Listen, but yeah, a lot of times living and it's just a different experience. It's a different experience. And so having to do all of that on top of being a missionary, my mission was difficult. I won't say that I necessarily enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I grew a lot, but it wasn't a fun experience for me. Um, but yeah, and you know, I did it. And then, you know, coming back, having, I guess, completed that, that check in the box, that was all part of the process. Right. And then the next check for me was to get married. And, um, yeah, Nate, you did it. I did. I did. I followed <laughs> all the rules and I, I'm not me. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I was lucky. I found me a, a wonderful woman. And if you've listened to earlier episodes of the podcast, you have, uh, you've heard from my wife, Cassandra and she's awesome, but she she'll is. tell you, like, even when, when we started dating, um, she looked past a lot, you know, I was an interesting dude. And that was, well, that was not like, her life. three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was time for me because I, I don't know i got lucky but she looked past a lot because i still had some weird ways of thinking i was still kind of misogynistic in some ways as i like to say i was a recovering it was a recovering misogynist you're a recovering misogynist, I, I'm, no, I'm yeah. a recovering misogynist now back then i wasn't oh. in recovery yet i oh, was still you were just straight misogynist <laughs> yeah. just straight Not, no recovery I, I, I was like okay i was like in the very early stages of recovery i guess mm. um but yeah so but, you know, she looked past a lot and we were able to, to, to build a great relationship. And then I was able to learn a lot from her um, that I would have been able to learn probably on my own. And so that helped a lot, too, in growing and maturing. And so, you know, in some ways, I feel like I'm talking a lot. I'm talking a lot. But let me just let me just say this. In some ways, um, the the process or like I guess the the life plan that the church kind of sets up with coming out of high school, serving a mission, going to school, getting married, it can be really good for you um, if you do it right. Um, and if you kind of, you know, if you take the time to think about what you're doing and make the right choices, then I think it's really good. But if you're just going through the motions, I think that's where it becomes a problem. You know, and so for me, fortunately, I wasn't going through the motions. I was really serious about what I was doing. And so I was making like educated decisions. Um, but I think if you go through the motions, it becomes dangerous. And we see that a lot in Utah. Yeah. Well, I fully agree. Like, I think that the church's expectation for people, I think that it does more harm than good. That's just my personal opinion. And I say that because when you have this expectation culturally and like doctrinally that something's supposed to happen a certain way, you set people up to feel like they are failures when they don't meet that right mm -hmm. and the church loves to only have like the asterisk like this isn't for everyone when it doesn't happen mm -hmm. not when it's you know not when they're talking about it and that's really frustrating um and it creates like this almost superiority complex amongst people that do do it mm -hmm. um based on what i've seen and heard from other people like you know people when they get married you know, in a certain amount of time after their mission, they act like they have earned something that and that they're like better than other people who like mm -hmm. are home from their mission six years and, you know, are married and stuff. Right. And I just think that that's really interesting. And like the church, what's, what's really interesting is like institutions, no matter what they do, they can say one thing. But when culturally certain culture, a certain culture is created and an expectation is there, if you have to like, 
you have to create something to like prevent that from happening and the church has done nothing to do that so when people call them out like hey this is toxic this is bad they're like no that's not our intention and it's like no it doesn't matter your your intention because your institution and like you can't control certain things you need to like create other systems in place to prevent that from happening and th that has not been done and so um people even when they don't try they feel that way you know like love my sister bless her i've had this conversation with her so i can talk about it but i i told her before like you sometimes it made me feel like you think that you are a better mormon better member of the church because you are married and you have babies like mm. And like, I don't want that right now. Like, I don't want to have babies until I am like 29 at the earliest, right? Like mm -hmm. that is not a desire of mine at all. And so when she would act that way and I told her about it, I was just like, I find it, it was just hard because I'm like, I don't want the same things as you. Like, I wanna live in a big city. I wanna travel a lot. I wanna do certain things before. I wanna feel really ready to make that choice when I'm like start a family and she just, you know, she was a little defensive at first, but once we talked about it, she was like, I see what you're saying. You know, we're able to break it down. Um, but I think the church unconsciously does that with people is mm -hmm. they create this like expectation. And then like, if you don't meet it, you are somehow failing. You're not as good of a member. You're not as faithful, which is literally not true. Like getting married means like, have, if you have relationships with people, you understand that it's more than just like, oh, I'm a good person. I follow the rules. I follow the commandments. I'm going to find the person I'm supposed to be with. Mm -hmm. Hell no. There's so much more that goes into finding someone that you're going to spend the rest of eternity with. Because yeah. that's what we're signing up for in the LDS right. church. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you should actually take the most time. Because you should take, if longer than death do you part like the rest of these hoes, it's, it's eternity. You <laughs> right. should really take a longer to find this out. Yep. And people be dating three months and be engaged Weeks. and then, mm -hmm. you know, eternity. And I'm like, and you wonder why people are getting, like the divorce rate in the church is the same. In it's the, world. the exact same. It's, it's the exact right same. I don't know why they act like it's not. And mm -hmm. I'm like, no. Yeah. And that's why I know, like right now, I know like five people that are divorced under five years. Yeah, I have so many friends that have been divorced. I know people who... Not like, that's bad. Like, we're not saying that this is mm -hmm. bad. Putting that right, out there. <laughs> yeah. Divorce itself is not bad, but the rate of divorce in a church that, like, that touts marriage so um, so readily, they talk mm -hmm. about marriage um, and family and how important it is. And then for them to be talking about that so much and then for the divorce rate to be the exact same... That's the issue we're highlighting. Not the fact that people are getting divorced. No. I would honestly... Um, I'm glad people are getting divorced. Exactly. I would rather them get divorced because I think <laughs> I feel like a lot of people nowadays are not putting up with stuff the way that they used yeah. to. I think Agreed. the only reason that the... Um, the reason that divorce rates are so high now is because people are just not putting up with stuff. Like there's a lot yep. of things that would have been let slide. And this is, I think just in general, there's a lot of marriages where people just were kind of like, Oh, grin and bear it. Or, uh, if something's broke, you got to fix it. Right. And it's like, not necessarily all the time. Something, you know, there's some things that you got to make work, but there's other things that you should just not no, allow. You, yep. right? <laughs> uh, there's some things that, you know, if, if it doesn't work, it just doesn't work. Um, and you know that that abuse infidelity like all of those kinds of things you know those things that you when you when you get married to someone you sign up to to be a certain way to be a certain person and if if i if it comes if push comes to seven you are not that person then maybe it just is not meant to be right but i think um the problem with with marriage in lds culture is i think a lot of times people get married they don't get married because of a relationship or because they feel a connection to someone they get married because we're supposed to get married 
right? And I think that's where the problem comes in. That's why so many people get divorced because they get married real quick. Like they'll come home from their mission and the mission takes time to adjust from. Like it takes time. You have to adjust like, to who you are. Exactly. You got to figure out who you, you are independent to blend of old you and new you. That's like, like a, <laughs> exactly. a year minimum. Yeah. A minimum. I remember when I finally found out or figured out that I was adjusted, it just kind of clicked one day. I was like, oh, I used to be thinking differently and now I'm thinking yeah. this way. I've yeah. adjusted. I, and that took me probably about a year and a half uh, being home for my mission because I wasn't trying to rush into getting married like a lot of people were. But I know people who got home from a mission, which and need, remind, let me remind you, this is like you're living a rigorous lifestyle for two years. You're waking yes. up at the same time every day. You're following a strict routine every single day. You're with uh, what, what you call a companion and it's uh, someone of the same sex as you and you're with them 24-7. Um, you cannot leave their their vision or their um, or their hearing at any time. Go to the bathroom, right? For nothing. So you have to be with that person all the time. And then you come home from your mission, and then you just expect it to just jump right back into life. There's no debriefing. There's no nope. there's no sensor to like debrief from being a missionary. You just got to come back and jump right back in. And people don't realize the like the toll that that takes on you doing Mentally. that for two years. It like rewires the way that you think and the way that you yep. see the world, and you got to readjust from that. And so. Um, you know, people don't be doing that. They come home and they're like, oh, I need another companion. And so they want to jump right into a relationship <laughs> with somebody and be with them 24-7. Um, and, you know, so then we got a lot of people, you know, I know people who um, who are married to people who are, are members of the queer community um, who never took the time to figure out that they were queer before they got married. They just jump right into it. I know people who are on rebound marriages where they got divorced and jumped right Stop. back into another relationship a couple of months later and got married. Um, you know, and these are people in their 20s. Like I know people who are, you know, 23, 24 um, who are on rebound marriages or who are, you know, it's just it's wild. And it's unfortunate to see. I would much rather just have someone be in a relationship and like figure something out for a few years than to see someone like getting married, getting divorced, getting married, getting divorced, you know? Well, and, and part of it is like the whole like law of chastity, mm -hmm. sexual part as well. Like just have sex. some people. Yeah. I think some people genuinely do have good relationships at the time they, you know, got married and they didn't like each other, but because they can't have sex because of the church standards, mm -hmm. they rush what maybe they should have taken more time to get to know each other. That it's not that they wouldn't have been together long term mm -hmm. they just needed to work out some of those kinks while they were not married without that pressure yeah. of being like dang like some certain you need to have certain conversations with the person you're going to marry you need to have certain arguments with them that you need to be able to go to your own bed at night you know what i mean like mm -hmm. you need to be able to go home and like walk away from it or like not have this like you are there every day um granted i've never been married so like i don't know i've been in a long-term relationship though and so i based on what i know what i've seen from other people like you have to have certain conversations and you need to be exposed to them in certain lights so you can know if that's kind of what you want to get yourself into for the mm -hmm. long term and i think that because of the sex aspect it's like well if we don't get married in this time we are going to we are going to be physically intimate because of feelings and chemistry and the way biology works right that's it's not gonna happen to be this age right. and not be having sex exactly and so it's like they rush into the marriage because of that. And then it's like, dang, yeah, I can have sex all I want now. Like I'm not breaking the law of chastity, but now I'm married to this person that maybe if we were just, you know, dating in a relationship and being two committed people who just wanted to be intimate with each other, 
we would date it for maybe a year and a half and been like, that's that's not it. We're not gonna do that, right? But mm-hmm. instead, people get married and did the same thing. And again, not that that's bad or it's a downfall, but it just creates a lot of like trauma for both people. Absolutely. And like, I'm like, I had a breakup and that was traumatic. Right. So I'm like, I can only imagine how difficult it could be to go through a mar- like have the world see you get married, and it's like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We need to just step back, right, and take some time. Not, and again, I'm not speaking on what the law chassis should or shouldn't be. I'm just saying that these are contributing factors to why people rush into things or move quicker than maybe their relationship is even ready for. Right. You're absolutely right. And yeah, it's it's like you said. Like you said, breakups are traumatic, but uh, a marriage, because I guess because a breakup is like a spoken agreement, or like when you're in a relationship with someone, that's a spoken agreement and you know that it can end at any time right and so it's like a different kind of like mental attachment there right and then obviously you can like speak that agreement um further where you can make it a permanent agreement or whatever you know you have people who are life partners and stuff like that but with the marriage i feel like just because of like the way that society has has um conditioned us to think about marriage it's a different kind of commitment when you get married to someone right it's legally (laughs) binding it's contractually binding and um, I mean, that's, you know, that's patriarchal, patriarchal in nature, even in itself. But we love it. That's why I would not be taking my husband's last name. <laughs> yeah. I'm Rachel Weaver for life. <laughs> Cassandra's last name is the same. We just never got around to changing it at this point. I'm fine if it never changes. Like, what's the point? She's still you don't my wife. Me. Exactly. Okay, right. keep She's going. her own person. But yeah, so, um, but, you know, there's a difference there. And so when you jump into like this legally binding union with someone, just because you want to have sex or because you know you guys are hot and bothered for each other because again if you're 19 20 21 and you're out here you've never had sex and then you meet somebody and they're like that you are in love with right mm-hmm. or at the very least attracted to things are going to happen if you don't act quickly and so i know people who have started dating and gotten married literally from the time that they met each other to the time they dated or i'm sorry so from the time that they met each other for the first time to the time that they got married the shortest amount of time that i've known is uh two months they met, oh, wow. they got engaged okay, after two weeks. I don't know nobody weeks. like that now. <laughs> they met, got engaged after two weeks, and then got married uh, like a month and a half after that, which is just crazy. But, um, you know, this is still a ways off. When I have kids, I'm just going to tell them, look, I'm not, I don't want you to be out Go here ahead. in these streets. Please don't. You ain't got to be out here in the streets, but if you're going to have sex, just go ahead and have sex, right? And then we could talk about it. Like, I would much rather have that conversation and just be like, just do that you know do your best right don't be out here in the streets don't go crazy just bouncing from person to person but if you're in a relationship with someone and you care about them do what you do don't jump into anything and be like i have to marry this person at 18 i have to marry this person at 19 right do what people do and then we could talk about it afterwards or whatever and go from there right yeah just move forward from that and then you can kind of like figure out who you are and and what you like all those kinds of things instead of just like jumping into something well, and then finding out that that's a different you know it's different than what you expected and in the lds church we're so young also that's mm-hmm. like the hard thing that like i know a lot of people at least two people that i know that are getting divorced right now it's not even that they don't it's just they changed and yeah. they got married when they were like you know 19 and people change people grow people become different people and it has nothing to do with lack of love and more of we were just did it when we were so young and life was different then and sometimes people like who you're gonna be and who you are it's just like friends right and that's different but like i have some friends like i was close to them 
for like a two year period in my life. And like, I saw them every day. They were my whole world, right? And they were so close to me, but mm -hmm. I changed into a different person. And it's not that I don't love them anymore, I do, but they just don't serve the same support for me as a friend in the way that they used to. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, especially at this young age when we're changing so much, you know, when you're older, you're a little more set in your ways and it can feel better to make a solid decision like that. But when you're so young, they're like, so much is changing between 19 to even 30 is so much is going to change in your life that when you do if you do choose to be with someone there's going to be a lot of growth that you have to accept with that that's very true yeah and that's why it's so important to date someone for a minute so that you can kind of see how they are in all yep. aspects of life you can't get a good idea of who someone is going out with them for two months or three months right? i'm sorry even six months mm -hmm. yeah you need a little bit longer than that. Um, for my wife, her thing was always oh, got to be four seasons and a road trip minimum, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, you know, we dated for we did it for a year. We did it for a year, and um, yeah, during that time, sure enough, four seasons passed, and we went, on, <laughs> we went on a couple different road trips, and we like learned who each other were, and you know, that way when we got married, there were no surprises. Like we were honest with each other, and we knew um, everything. And so yeah, I would say that like since we've been married and the time we've been married, we've learned a lot about each other. But there's been no surprises, right? Because we took the time to actually get to know each other before we got married. And I think that's important. Um, so if you're listening to this, if you're thinking about getting married to someone that you've been dating for a month, just, you know, make sure you know that person first. That's all I got to say. And that's why those people, do you see those posts that are like, the first year of marriage was so hard mm -hmm. and da, 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 da. And like, this is my theory that I came up with. And... I think that it's not that the first year of marriage is really hard. I think that there's a cycle that you go through when you date someone for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. And once the honeymoon phase is over, because the honeymoon phase can last a really long time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of LDS people get engaged in their honeymoon phase. Mm -hmm. So they go yeah. from honeymoon phase to being engaged. Okay. And if you don't have that time from after the honeymoon phase of phase two of the relationship where you're like, dang, they're a human. Mm -hmm. Here are all your flaws. <laughs> Uh, you are just you don't know how to communicate your feelings mm -hmm. you have a really hard time accepting criticism right just like certain things that you need to know about the person that you're married to mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people in the church just don't know those things because they get married so young and then they get caught up in the hype of getting married and then by the time all that hype settles down they're in that first year when it's like oh no i'm really seeing those that second phase of the relationship issues that you work through and then you know phase three is like okay we've accepted these things I accept your flaws, you accept mine, but we choose each other mm -hmm. and we're choosing to like be together. That doesn't happen until after year one or two. So that's why people be posting, the first year of marriage was so hard. No, baby, the first year of marriage is not that hard. It's just that you didn't know them. It's okay. <laughs> that's that, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, the, I feel like all of the people who have been married for a long time are going to make fun of me for this or like roll their eyes. Oh. But for me, <laughs> me and Cass, we've been married. We're coming up on three years, right? Per. I'm still waiting for the, the hard part. Like, it's been easy. I'm not going to lie. Um, we don't, and again, I know like people who've been married for a long time, they're going to be like, oh, just wait, it's coming. I, I, like, I know, I know. And I know at some point it's going to get more difficult. But right now things have been great because we know each other and like we know how to talk with each other, how to communicate with each other. And it, not to say that we don't like get annoyed or whatever, um, but it hasn't been a difficult thing because it's not like I'm learning about a new person every single day or it's not like I'm like, completely incompatible with this person i didn't know it before or anything like that like we 
we got to know each other before we got married. We got married. We're the same people. Like, we've grown together. Like, we're growing together. But, like, there's no big surprises. Nothing major has changed about who we were as people and who we showed ourselves to be, like, when we were still dating, you know? So, um, I'm still waiting on the hard part. And I know I'm finna get all the, the old Yeah, give me folks. the advice, Nate. So, <laughs> Nate's like my older brother. So, Nate can give me all the advice for when I, I hit that stage of my life. <laughs> mm, I got you. Yeah. Be really hard on your man. Like, whoever he is, just, just huh? be hard on, be hard on him. Mm, what yeah. do you mean be hard on him? Because uh, he's going to be a knucklehead. That's what I, I was a knucklehead. <laughs> Don't speak out of my life. Man, what? Crazy. Just... Well, like, he'll be a nice knucklehead. You know, he'll just be yeah. a little stupid. <laughs> you know. My kid. type is introverted, man. So. Mm. There you go. <laughs> cool. Well, quiet boys. Well, this is, this turned into a longer conversation than we it thought. Yeah, it's a long episode. We we coming up on fair. an hour. Oh, okay. Let's end soon. Let's, Let's end. end here. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of editing. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that's the end of the episode. Hope y'all learned a little something. We had a good time. Got carried away. And um, listen to our non therapist relationship expert advice and opinions. <laughs> Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Read the fine print, y'all. We're not licensed Literally, at anything. Asterisk. This is my opinion. Mm-hmm. I have no backing for this other than my own personal. This, this is what experience. I did. You know what I would do if I was in <laughs> what issues. I've observed. Mm-hmm. Right. Got to be careful. I'm not trying to get sued. The black menace right? told me to break up with my boyfriend. Nope, sure did. <laughs> they told me to not get married. They told me to just have sex. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm not a member of the church anymore. Church. And oh, I've gotten disfellowshipped. Kick me out of BYU. Oh man, let me stop. Let me stop. But anyway. <laughs> Yeah, be sure to subscribe to all of our social media pages. Hit us up on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at The Black Menaces. Follow us on Patreon uh, for, well, actually don't follow us on Patreon. We're switching over to something called Blast View. Be on the lookout for posts about that on Instagram. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or menace moments that you would like to share with us, please email the, uh, nope. Please email blackmenacespodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And we'll respond to you and we'll talk about it on the show. And with that, I want to let y'all know we love you, we respect you, and never forget. Always be a menace. Always. Peace. (laughs) 